Hello and welcome to Rick's Martini Bar. I'm Jerry McCarty here with Rick Farmelo and Amanda Raymond as usual. And we have a special guest today. We have a, it's a great honor today. We have the president of SAG, also a, a great actor of stage, screen, and television, Mr. Ken Howard. Welcome, Ken. Yes. Hello. How are you? Thank you for joining us. It's quite an honor. Oh, cheers, Rick. Thank you cheers. Cheers. Just me and Rick. It's kind of early, but we're gonna go through this yes, anyway. Yes. But the uh, um, anyway, the uh, uh, Ken, I, you've done so much, and I want to talk about a lot. But first of all, can I talk about the white shadow for a little? <laughs> By all means. That's, that's, that, yeah, that's my main thing. That's, for white that, that was one of my favorite all-time oh shows. Oh my gosh! And uh, it's available on DVD now, so uh, you can relive them all. But they hold up. They are. They, Thank they, you. They, they're, yeah. they're, they're great. But tell us a little bit about how that started. It was. You and Bruce Paltrow, pretty much. Right? Well, I'll tell you, actually, and uh, I don't know if you've heard the story, how it actually started. Uh, I went to Amherst College as an undergrad, and I played uh, basketball there. And I, and one of my good friends was a fellow named Dave Marine, who was a football player, not a basketball player. And I'd tell him about this team that I played on in high school, this wonderful coach, Fritz Mueller. When I was a junior, I was the only white guy in the starting five, <laughs> first, first seven. He loved that whole thing. And then I had a career, and in 19... 77. We were sitting on a porch in, in Great Falls, Virginia. He was one of the three guys running the Nature Conservancy. He's a very funny, very imaginative guy, and he gave me the whole idea. He said, you should go back, and you should find somebody you trust, and you should do a series where you play a pro who hurts his knee just like you did against Tully Cross and wow. Boston Step, whatever, wow, okay. who therefore takes on this job, and you're coaching, you can get all these social issues, it'll be funny, you have your own history. That's a good idea for a series, isn't it? I said, I think so. So I took that. I had worked with Blythe Danner a lot and got to know Bruce as her husband. Right. Uh, and he would tease me because I was constantly kissing her and dancing <laughs> her and dancing with her. And I said, Here's the, what do you think? And we talked a little bit about perhaps doing some work together. And he said, I like it. And uh, we developed the whole package and then brought it to CBS and got the deal, got the commitment at CB, at, at, for CBS wow. and then went to MTM. So it Whoa. didn't really come out of MTM. Oh. We needed to lay it off with one oh, studio or the cool. other. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, and Bruce Paltrow was terrific in a lot of ways. He was a very funny guy and a very decent guy. But I think he, his, one of his real strengths was he knew how to play the network. He knew how to get a lot of stuff on the air they, they weren't comfortable with and also when to back off. Mm -hmm. Because you may find this hard to believe, but one of the first things they said is some phrase like, we strongly encourage you, if you're doing this series, mm -hmm. to stay away from... Uh, uh, sex, drugs, and crime. The whole point of the show was to try to keep up. So he, he knew how to kind of work it, and we got a lot of the stuff in and the schmooze and get it, and add in the humor and not make yeah. it. So he was a wonderful producer that way, and, and I miss him. A very good guy, too. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. And yeah. the stuff you guys dealt with. Uh, well, it wasn't really heavy-handed. You guys never never seen real preachy. You just sort of seen no, but alcoholism. Yeah, and then all that stuff happened. It was never like this show's about. You know, it was never really heavy-handed and preachy and. Yeah, but you know, CBS was probably the right place to do that with all the Norman Lear stuff after that. They were a little bit more progressive. Were a, they little, all? a little. No. They, 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 <laughs> they, they let us get on the air. They let us do it. But they were reluctant. They were nervous about it. But and, they, they gave us our shot. And the, the, the pregnancy one was uh, Steve, Stephen Bochco 
wrote that, I think, or Bruce and Stephen Bach. He might have written a couple of them first, yeah. right, Bachko, because yeah. he was in the midst right then of not quite Hill Street. He was working on something else called Paris Blue, but he was about to do Hill yeah. Street. That's great. I'll tell you, I, one of the shows we did it was an example of what you're talking about, sort of the tone of it. There was one where Gomez, Ricky yeah. Gomez, yeah. is starting to get uh, involved with one of the gangs or something a little bit, and he's, he knows he shouldn't, but it, maybe there's some money involved. Anyway, the next thing, he's he's in jail, and he has uh, he can make a one phone call, so he calls me. He calls yeah. the <laughs> And I go down, and I get him out, and we've sorted out. And da, right. da, da, da. Now you get to the game. And right towards the end of a close game, I put him in. And uh, and he gets the final shot. And it's all set up that the way it should be that he makes the shot. This, of course, he misses the shot. He runs out. <laughs> uh -huh. And the last thing you see is I walk over to him. And uh, the last thing I say to him right before they freeze frame is, next time I'm going to leave you in there. <laughs> so it was always a little kind of, you know, not getting too serious too of preaching, yeah, yeah. too sentimental. I like their relationship, too, with, um, who's the assistant? Joan Pringle is the yes, assistant yes. principal. Yeah, was it was like, back then, like, the only African-American bosses were, like, police lieutenants on right. Starsky and Hutch. Right. And, but, but you guys had a really kind of... Good relationship. I mean, she was your boss, but it was, uh, it was just really well. Done. I remember Paltrow called me and he said, "I've got, uh, I've got the actress. I've found her to play Sybil Buchanan." He said, "She seems like she is the former president of the student body at UCLA." <laughs> <laughs> and she has that manner yeah, to her, Joan. Yeah. You know? Oh, she does. But she, she was, was always great. like, you. Cool. she didn't want to do it, but she had to keep you in line. Right. Right. It was good, uh -huh. good, good stuff. And what I also would have liked about the show because you know I play sports. It's like. You want the guys to know what they're doing. I mean, you oh, want, yeah. like, yeah, like what was the, uh, the Jimmy Pearsall story with the, uh, with, uh, what's his Anthony name? Tony 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 <laughs> I can never, never play baseball, but these guys could play basketball. They could, all could play. You know, we had an ongoing conversation. It seemed the whole three years with the network, and it would go this way again and again, right from the beginning, saying, we made it up. We know basketball's a metaphor. We know it's not about basketball. Right, right. But they have to look like they can oh, play, or, or all the credibility goes out oh, the yeah, window. So, because yeah. we were very, ex as much as we could be exact about the games and how they were played and how guys looked and this and that, whatever. They said, well, but it's not about basketball. We know it's not about basketball, <laughs> but it's got to look right yeah, and believable. Otherwise, people turn away. Yeah. So. Well, here's what, when, when, I was, when, when I was watching, I was, that was when they had the Battle of the Network Stars. And right. it's like, yeah. just take the whole Carver High School team and yeah, put them against yeah. everybody. They'd kill them. Yeah. It would yeah. be like Gabe Kaplan versus Coolidge. for. Uh, <laughs> I, had a, I had a strange thing with them because I think that was a, they, they said that we, you, you have an offer to do battle with the network stars. And for various reasons, I won't get into my sound. Numbers, <laughs> they said, no, no, you have to. I said, no, no, no don't do that. Yeah. And the next thing they, you know, they don't like hearing no. And the next thing they were telling me I could be captain of the team. And with this, I said, I'm not trying to negotiate a position. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Let other people do that. Uh, you know, so. I mean, it was fun to watch, but I... No, yeah, it wasn't really that fun. It was just... <laughs> it was... It was, and, and I know you guys would never do it, but it was, you know, it was always like... Because I'm sure a lot of people said no. It was always Donnie Most versus... Not, not enough. Yeah. Not enough people said no. How to, how to look bad on national uh, television. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, that's, you've, you've satisfied my uh, white shadow fix for a little bit. So let's... let's talk about 1776. Let's talk about 1776. That's a major... Go ahead. I mean, just whatever you want to say about it. I mean, how you, how you got that part, how you felt about playing it, and its it, it, it success and what it led to, and, you know. Well, it was a great break. The... In that summer of 1968, I, I was in Williamstown, 
and I did uh, the Tennessee Williams play, uh, Camino Real, and played the lead, Kilroy, and Peter Hunt was a lighting designer, mostly known for that, he lit it. And then at the end of that season, he was going to do How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And I'd done it a couple of years before in Summerstock and played the lead, which was usually played by a little guy. Yeah, Robert yeah, Morris yeah. played yeah. it. Yes, Robert Morris, right. But it, it also, so I'd done it. And I remember one night uh, just talking to him and talking him into how I could do it. Let me do this. And uh, he had been talking to Austin Pendleton, a wonderful actor, about doing French. And he said, you want to play Frump in this... Like this tall, tall, skinny kid, you know, do it, and you're yeah, fine, we'll do it. And it was very successful. It, it broke all kinds of box office. We had a ball. Meanwhile, at that time, I'd, I'd auditioned for a small part that I got in Promises, Promises. Oh. And, and uh, with David Merrick. And uh, I'll tell you the whole thing, because it's kind of interesting how it fell in the place. And the agent, who was just a girl I'd met, you know, I was just, I was still in drama school. Uh, made a deal, and they said, uh, you know, he doesn't get any billing. Nobody's ever heard of him. He gets minimum salary. And we always sign everybody for a year or something. And Agent Bob Barry said, the first two things I understand, but you can't, you got to give him an out clause. <laughs> he said, otherwise, he'll go back to Yale. He's got a fellowship at Yale. Yeah. He's only going to do this if yeah. he has the out clause. Right. Well, all right. So I have a four-week out clause. Now I, I'm on the road with this show that's going to be a big hit. And, oh, and just a little footnote. It never occurred to me that when you're in a brand new show, like even as a big hit, that your role can get written out. <laughs> you know, I'd never done that. You know, oh. you do shows that are already yeah, established. Yeah, right, it right. didn't, but I went, oh, my God, what if they just change <laughs> it all around? Uh -huh. But I was safe. I was coming in. Yeah. And Peter Hunt called me, and he said, I've gotten the opportunity to direct a Broadway musical. It has no pre-sale. It's a little experimental. And I want you to try out for the role of Thomas Jefferson, wow. 1776. And I, I auditioned three times. And uh, that's too many stories, but I, anyway, I got it. Uh -huh. And because of the timing, two weeks after Promises, Promises opened, it was a huge hit. Oh, and they'd offered me more money a couple of times to sign for longer. Uh -huh. I gave my notice, my four-week notice, so that I was actually starting to rehearse 1776 as I was finishing the play. Oh. Nobody gets out of David Merrick. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of got a kick out. I mean, he was very good to me, Merrick, even though he had this, but he was always good to me. Then he kind of got a kick out of it that I left this hit show, went in this other thing that nobody would heard of, we came back, was a huge hit, wow. won the Tony. Scooped yeah, the Tony. Yeah, yeah. The Tony yeah. And he always kidded me about it, but he hired me again. And so it was, I was very, very, very fortunate. Wow. And it all fell into place. And, uh, and it was a great experience, and it was, we knew, well, we thought we knew we had a big hit by the time we were in Washington. There was a lot of changing, too. It went from a show that wasn't quite right, finally, to had it to, but in the back of our minds, we thought, but we're in Washington, D.C. Is it just that audiences have a different feeling? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And as soon as we started doing previews in New York, it was like, oh, no, no, this, is, this is huge. And it was, it was a wonderful, hit, a wonderful show on the stage, too. Did William Daniels Absolutely. on Broadway? Was Absolutely. he on Broadway, too? And the original, I was originally, and so was Howard De Silva. Opening night, March 16, 1969, he had some heart thing go wrong. Opening night, wow. right before, and he kept wow. going. Nobody knew except, I turned to Billy Daniels at one point, and I said, is Howard all right? And he just looked at me and said, it's opening night. Like, don't, don't, don't oh think about gosh. it. Yeah. So we got through it. And Howard was a little more demure than usual, but he won. And they had a... a, a an ambulance waiting for him after the curtain call. He got in the ambulance, and they took him off. And I, I saw him, but I—that I, was it. He—he he was out for months. And uh, and Rex Everhart, wonderful character actor who'd been in the wings, uh, 
as a replacement, took over. He's on the on the Broadway album. Oh, okay. And the next time I did it with Howard was in the movie. Because okay. Howard yeah. Silver was wonderful yeah, in it, but yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. so a couple. Of, I'd already left that show and done a film and another wow. Broadway. I'd done a lot of other yeah. things. Then I came back to do the film. And I'm glad Howard DeSilva did it because it was a real, uh, he was wow. just right in it. Yeah. That's cool. And so did you think that you and John Adams, the two presidents, would be presidents of SAG <laughs> <laughs> several years later? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I liked, I liked working with uh, William Daniels a lot, though. He, in yeah. fact, the first two shows, the star of the third show, Promises, Promises, was Jerry Orbach. Oh, great. Yeah. You with him? So, with Jerry Orbach? Yeah, that yeah. was the original. It's the soundtrack. I have the soundtrack of it. The original. He's it was the original, original right, yeah. yeah. And uh, they were both really great examples of how the leads and shows should be. You know, wow. very professional and terrific. Great. Nice memories. A long time ago. And one other thing that I'm really interested in is you also worked with uh, Otto Preminger, who yeah. has a really bad reputation. <laughs> I don't want to say bad yeah, reputation, well, but tough reputation, tough, tough, right? Yes, yes. Well, I, I, he was very good to me, and he saw me opening night in 1776 and had me come in and uh, read a, uh, meet with Liza Minnelli and then do a screen test with her for a film called Tell Me That You Love Me, Junie Moon. And I left 1776 to do that film. So I skipped a lot of steps. I mean, it was a starring role, and it was the first film I'd done, and he was good. With there was one day where he uh, started, I think he figured he had me in a kind of vulnerable position, just his instinct. Uh, it was a scene, a bedroom scene with Liza, and he just started shrieking. And I remember looking, my heart was pounding, and I thought, so I just got up and I said something like, I'll take five. As he was screaming, you don't leave my set or something. <laughs> so I, I walked down the hallway and I walked down and I, and I went into the men's room. And there was a guy, I remember his name, his name was Joe Odessa. And he was the uh, key grip. Uh, no, he was the, uh, not the key grip, he was the uh, gaffer. Mm -hmm. He was the head gaffer. Mm -hmm. And he came and stood right next to me the next urinal, stage, straight ahead, and he said, you're handling... The old man just right, kid. Wow. Take the full five minutes, because in this business, time is money. <laughs> the whole five minutes. And I went back. He said, I'm sorry I shall. Thought I'd do oh. this. And he didn't do it. I just, he didn't really do that. You got me. an I'm sorry from Otto Preminger, man. That's worth <laughs> everything. I'm sorry I shall. And he was always good to me. And he was good to lies. And I, I did another film with him where I saw him. I actually wasn't there on his really bad day, but he could get pretty ugly. But, but with us, it was almost funny. He would just, he would just suddenly go into his shouting rage thing. Be, all right, now, all right. Uh -huh. He was a very sophisticated, very smart, very interesting man. It's just once he put on the director's cap, he would just to turn it's into a dictator. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Wow. And, and we talked a couple weeks ago, we did our uh, podcast on Jerry Lewis, and we talked about him teaching at uh, USC. USC, and you've taught at, at, at Harvard. What have you taught at Harvard? Well, first, um, the, the dean at uh, <coughs> Yale was Robert Brustein, who told me I was making the biggest mistake of my life when I left. <laughs> well, it was a good, I, I was fortunate, so it worked out. And then uh, years later, he had moved his repertory company up to Harvard, and he asked me if I'd come back and, and teach the pilot course, the acting course. And because of the book he'd written, he wanted me to call it uh, something like Adventures in Poetic Realism or something. And I said, can I just call it Acting One? I mean, I'm not. <laughs> But I did it, and I worked in repertory, and then I had an idea that I could really teach a, a, a very effective course that was, I couldn't call it public speaking on the undergraduate level, but that was the heart of it. Yeah. Uh, kind of an actor's approach to speaking in public. You know, it's the number one fear, and I could make it a little bit more of a study, a kind of 
uh, sociology study, just something to kind of get it into the program. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, and that was really fun to do. And then I taught a version of it at the uh, at the at the law school a couple of times. Really? So I, I really enjoyed my time there. You did everything. You did the syllabus and the whole, the thing. whole you thing. made the course. Yeah, I did. I was there for about oh, three years. So oh. it was, uh, yes, I did. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a big commitment and, and a great learning experience. And I loved it. I really loved it. Well, I want to congratulate you on your Emmy for Grey Gardens, and we've we've gone through our time. We didn't even talk about SAG. Well, we, we, okay, well, we'll talk about SAG Real for quickly, just a little just, bit. Just how you, how you, I mean, obviously, you're a member of SAG. That's how you got involved in the first place. But what spurred you on to want to be the president? I never wanted to be president. <laughs> really? Okay. My wife's laughing. But what I, I did, I played a, a recurring guest role in a, in a short-lived series called Kane that starred uh, Jimmy Smits. This was just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what happened in a couple of years. And Ned Vaughn, who was in it, was start, just starting to move towards uh, this Unite for Strength group. And we got talking about it, and I went to a couple of them, and he said, would you consider running for the national board and da 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 and I said okay I said but I, I'm going to be on the road I think next year doing this one man show about Tip O'Neill he said it's alright it's a long road we're gone it's fine so I ran and I got on the national board and then things started to develop and started to develop and at one point they uh, said would you for lots of reasons but they said would you run for president because you know what we've been doing and my, my only concern, because I only knew so much, I was doing it, was that, that I might <clears throat> not win if, they, if the other side put up somebody fam- more famous. You know, I mean, I'm known, but you know, somebody yeah. who was really, uh-huh. I just didn't want to lose for them. But as it turned right. out, it worked out, and I won pretty substantially against uh, right. the person running against me. And then uh, it started; it was kind of faded. It started to fall into place. It was like SAG was, quite frankly, in a lot of trouble. It, it needed to change, mm-hmm. and it needed the waters calmed, and it needed to be a sane positive place and we've managed it really kind of pretty quickly in a couple of years and we're in the right place now and you know what happened with the election and yeah. all you know it's just a just a sweep yeah. so yeah. now we we're we're going to be able to do what we wanted to do yeah. have a successful negotiation i believe that will be ratified by the membership and then move towards a merger with after if i had my way we'd eventually maybe have We'd have equity in there too, same as in England and in Australia, mm-hmm. so that all the performers are under one tent. You can, you can, you know, you can negotiate from more strength doing that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's better. Do you think there's any hope to do anything? I, I just, I came back from China yesterday, and uh, it, they have, you know, there's DVDs, movies not even released they sell there. And is there any hope of, you know, about getting that money back to to SAG and to the to the actors that? The money that's gone? No. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, but the money that's gone, but at least stopping it or controlling. Oh well, that's that's the number there. one issue. I well, think that's it's a huge issue and difficult to do um, because it's uh, it's staggering the amount of money and how fast all this happens and the lack of control over it. So there, uh, one thing that helps us in a strange way is that the management side wants. To convince the culture, the notion of the culture is uh, they're not really stealing because it's just money from the fat cats with their golden parachutes who make hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to make it clear that it's really stealing from all of us who, who, who you know, who share in yeah. the profits. And we go, absolutely, but you understand, that means you have to let us share in the profits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's true. Yeah. If you're going to say that, then yeah. work with us so we really are, you know. Cool. So it may help us really get a better foot in the door of just to... Uh, 
getting our little piece of the pie, and uh, and that will probably make it work better in terms of the culture too, because then you're stealing for regular working people. Yeah. yeah. And they, 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 yeah. they, I mean, the studios have gone over there and gotten that cheap labor to make their product and do animation. Rick's an animator to do a animation over there for pennies, and then yeah. then to complain about the fact that they're stealing it is. <laughs> now that you said that, I'm going into negotiations Monday. So, <laughs> in regard to that, no comment. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, end, we'll end that there. But that's a uh, that's that's great. Okay, well, thank you for the podcast. You gave us more than we could could, could imagine, and it was a pleasure. Was great, yeah. And I got to name our I got to do our sponsors for just real quickly here. We've got uh, PB Imaging. Uh, you can check out their website and. Uh, uh, visit them, and then also audible.com. So if you need, oh, we have another one. Oh, we have audible. What about ShamWow or yeah. someone? No, like no, that? no, no. Audible.com, and and you do, you narrate books, right? You're on oh, audible. I love doing those. It's like so good. That's by books Rick's a reader. Good. I'm a listener, and uh, I like, uh, I love listening to books. And take you, you have a book. Do you narrate your own book? You, I've never, no, I've never done it. I would love to, if uh, if it ever got my, successful enough. My favorite, my my, uh, I love listening to. Autobiographies narrated by the, the person, the like, person who like, wrote like it. The kid stays in like the Warren Beatty, yeah. he does his, when he does that. I, bet, oh, I would love to listen. Yeah. To Warren I'm Beatty. sure you'll listen to the book before I can finish. So visit audible.com yes. and uh, you can get there on our website www.mccartymesser.com. It's an entirely free podcast. Oh, and thank you, Ken Howard. Thank you, Rick Farmelo. Thank you, Amanda Raymond. And, uh, and we'll see you next out. week. Cheers. 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 Great. Awesome.